Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat. Dinner is served. So I'm here with my good friend, uh, John Comfort. How are you, John? Doing well, Joe. Good to see you again. Me too. Where are you hailing from this evening? Uh, well, I've moved very far. I am Instead of in the garage, I'm in our office. The garage is busy right now. So. All right. So you get booted, get booted from the man cave. Right. That's a better way to put it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So to bring people into the conversation kind of quickly, who might this might be their first episode with us, we've really been talking at the core about about reconciliation. Really, I, I think that's yep. kind of the, the big thrust of what we're talking about, and how you know there's so much in our world, in our relationships, in our own mind, in our hearts that tries to separate us from those around us, from those we love, from those we care about. It does take intention and work. Yep to heal those wounds, right? Those wounds that are deep. Uh, and we've talked about this from many different angles, from societal angles and biblical angles. What's on your heart and your mind today about reconciliation? What really matters and, and how to mend the bridges and the fences that are, are sort of broken down in our world? I'm hesitant to say things get worse and worse, but there is sort of a, <laughs> a feel for that um, a little bit, you know, given, you know, what's going on in uh, Russia and Eastern Europe, Ukraine right now as we speak. Um, and certainly, you know, our hearts go out to that situation and we want to pray for them. And yeah, you recapped what we've been talking about. You know, it, it, I do believe that the the word reconciliation is the best word for it, um, of what we're talking about. Um, I think that the whole Bible needs to be understood as you know, the whole point of it is to be reconciled back to God. It means then that these reconciliation efforts uh, that can seem so gnarly in our world, they're actually the low-hanging fruit, I think. You know, in the last 50 years, we've um, done so much heavy lifting in America, especially around these things, and they actually should guide us. Uh, now, still, in so many ways, we resist um, but it is, it is about that. I think it would be correct to credit this to Christian philosophers more, but that the whole meaning of life then is, has been described as to know others and God and to be known by others and God. And that knowing is definitely central, you know, in, in Jesus's language, even he talks about knowing people and that's a very deep and profound meaning that he has and or not knowing people conversely that's a big deal um and it's relational then that is so much of what we talked about you know for 13 episodes then and what i where we were going with it then too that this applies to everybody and it applies to everybody whether they like it or not there's no way around it it's how uh the universe is structured it's how god on high made it you know um 
And you can go all the way back to Adam and Eve and say, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. Um, you know, certainly some people are introverts and other people are extroverts, but we all need, underline need, other people in our lives. And it's just fundamental. And the whole basic fabric of how that works then is just simply communication. You know, you don't have to look back very far just to our own COVID experience to see how important those connections are, right? Because right. Uh, statistically, mental illness and depression and suicide and all these things have spiked over the last couple of years. And yeah. it's pretty easy to say a big part of that is isolation. We've yeah. become disconnected. We've become more isolated. And like you said, the way we're wired, the fabric of our being would say we need that connection on a really deep level, whether, like you said, whether we admit it or not, whether we're fully aware of it or not, there's something about the way we've been sewn together that really does is healthier and right. uh, more fruitful and more fulfilled when we are connected, not just to ourselves or to our God, but to each other. Yeah. And, you know, people think deep thoughts about this, and I don't mean that dismissively at all. I think they are good, important, deep thoughts that goes to, you can take it all the way into kind of existentialism. And uh, it's, I think we even touched on this a little bit, you know, that um, especially in our Christian world, we can be correctly skeptical, like meaning the notion of moral relativism is a big deal, a big problem, and it's a bad problem. And a lot of people will say that that's, about people believing that they have their own truth. And that is a problem, I agree. But I think the notion of this relationalism and relativity that like Albert Einstein proved and blew everybody's minds and it gave us, you know, cell phones and <laughs> everything else in the modern world, this notion of relativity and relationship and relationalism it's not that far from relativism. And so you have to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, some of what we have said then is, is that while it's you don't get your own truth, people do have their own perspective on the truth. And those things do have to be balanced. And where, again, we're taking that today is just simply that it, that it's so basic and fundamental. It is in every communication exchange that we have and that. I'm trying to present something, but then you are required fundamentally, it's how it works, to try to perceive what it is that I'm saying. And your perception and my intention have to meet or not. Yeah. And frequently they don't. Frequently they don't. Just ask a married person, you know. <laughs> right. But that that's what life is. That's what existence is you know and there's just no way around it that's so true yeah and uh, you see it everywhere and you know there's this um scientific notion that, that we have this mechanism in our brain that once we start to pay attention to something then we see it everywhere some sort of reticular activating mechanism right so people see that when they they go buy a new car and then they drive off the lot and suddenly they see all the cars that are exactly like theirs and, like they never even noticed one before because now now your brain is is helping you see what was already there. And yeah. so as you and I have talked about how fundamental this need for reconciliation and and how 
different perspectives on the truth are causing so much division and strife in our heart, in our relationships, in our world, then you, you do start to see it everywhere. And just last week, I was talking to another friend, Lee Free, and he was talking about, you know, working through the issues in his marriage. He's been married for 40 years. And, and anybody that's married for very long knows that you're going to have your highs and your lows and your ups and your downs, right? Yeah. And he said he and his wife were going through this book and he pulled out the quote. And unfortunately, I can't think of the author at the moment, but the author said, in a relational conflict, the goal is not to win. Yeah. The goal is mutual understanding. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. like, ding, 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 ding. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. So we're looking for that mutual understanding, not not to prove a point or to be the winner of the yeah. conflict. Yeah. And frankly, the biblical phrase for it is it's a challenging, but it's so freeing if you'll just get over yourself. Um, it, the phrase is mutual submission in the Bible. And, you know, I've heard Christians even resist the notion that they need to be mutually submitted, even though Paul explicitly says it. And then implicitly, it's clear that's what Jesus is saying as well, that if you want to lead, you've got to serve and think of others as better than yourself. And, you know, it's not about lording over people. It's about really, truly serving people and being last, not being first. And and then Paul, again, makes it very explicit clear in in Ephesians and people will say, well, that's just for married people. No, he says it's no, this is for you Christians in general. And it's very clear. It's right there. It's just like it's better to give than to receive and things like that, that it really is freeing if you can kind of click in onto what is this. Uh, But it is mutual. It is a mutual submission. It's not a um, enabling kind of false, you know, martyrdom kind of thing. And the word martyrdom, we could connect that to Jesus in real deep ways but it's not a false martyrdom it's a uh, it's authentic and it's about truly you know ultimately loving people but of being mutually submitted you know we could get into the kind of the funny little things on a marriage level you know that a, a marriage can't be 100 zero because that's not healthy and it's also not a rigid 50 50. most everybody who's given it a little healthy thought knows that it's an overlap that it's whatever you want to say, 75, 25, both ways, 60, 40, both ways, whatever you want to say, but there has to be an overlap. And that's then where the good stuff is. I've even heard uh, some marriage counselors say that ideally it's a hundred, a hundred. You both give a hundred percent to the relationship in order for that to really work. And then even in the language of the Bible about how husbands and wives respond to each other, you know, husband is supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Well, that's ultimate sacrifice, right? I give yeah. everything for the benefit of my wife. Wife submit. So there is that mutual thing. It's it's like you said, it's not lording over. It's not a power thing. And in fact, in the, the paradoxical irony of all of this is through the submission, through the giving, then you receive what you were after all along. You receive oh, yeah. the oneness, the relationship, the reconciliation, yeah. and the sense of purpose and fulfillment and love and connection which is what we're all longing for on the deepest levels anyway. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, if, if you seek yourself, you're not going to find it. But if you stop seeking yourself, hey, there you are. <laughs> absolutely. Because no matter where you go, there right. you are. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can just end this, this right now. That's all we need to say. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, and it, it can get into all of that um, love language kind of conversation and whatnot and 
And people can dig into that. Don't get me wrong. That can be very productive and practical. But I am even just trying to say on a more practical level than that, even it's um, this is not lofty is what I'm trying to say that there's a quote from like F. Scott Fitzgerald that says that the true sign of genius is to be able to hold two ideas in tension and not go crazy. Okay, I would say then we're all geniuses because we all have to do that then all the time, even, you know, from our little, you know, toddlers and children and babies even, you know, like there's a good pastor's joke of how infants are the most powerful people in the world because they just, you know, they make a noise and everybody leads to attention for the first several weeks, months of their life, whatever. But then it comes this fateful day when somebody then says, no, <laughs> everything crumbles. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, what happened? And it's this notion then that that's kind of when, you know, real communication and exchange and negotiation in a healthy way starts to happen. You know, like um, a, a toddler may want to, you know, stay up too late or eat chocolate all the time or whatever. And a parent knows that, no, you can't do that. We have to sometimes eat broccoli or whatever. And that is because we love them, you know, and then so is our relationship with our heavenly father, you know? So it's pervasive. It's all over the place and it's in every kind of communication exchange. And, and it goes to this place then of managing what, you know, I'd said before, but not everybody's always comfortable with that, you know, that, I do intend to do this, and this is what my intention was, but that does then hinge on how you perceive it. And there is this phrase then that perception is reality. And you can get into arguments with people about this, you know, like people have really, you know, can get riled up if they're made to kind of grapple with this because they don't like that seeming lack of control. But that's like, that's life. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the mantras that my first mentor, my first business mentor, he was the president of the college that I attended. We became friends and he came back to that over and over. He said, Joe, a person's perception is their reality. And whether that's your perception or not, you can't change that. You can't change the fact that the way they see the world is their world. So you yeah. have to be aware that you have a perception, they have a perception, and oftentimes they don't line up. So what do you do then, right? How do you find common ground? How do you build relationships? How do you consider the other person's perception as valid when it doesn't line up with your own? That's well said. Um, I had taught a communications class and I really would like to get those going again. Um, I think it would be very helpful and productive in a couple of different contexts. But we would talk about this um, and you know, it would sometimes get people again riled up. But two of the very these are similar two of the clearest examples of where perception is reality and it's just two of innumerable but two of the clearest ones are when you either you apply for a job or you ask someone out on a date and it's like in both instances i think i'm awesome i'm trying to present myself as awesome but it all hinges on whether or not you think i'm awesome and I would have students who would say, well, you know, I don't think that's still true because, you know, maybe I didn't actually want that job or I didn't want that date or whatever. I'm like, well, you can tell yourself that if you want, but the fact that you asked implies that you at least ought to want a positive response. And if you didn't get it, 
the healthy thing would be to do is to, is to think about it. Like what happens then, you know, don't avoid that and try to figure out how can I communicate better? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just tough darts, man. If, if she says no and you know, yeah, you may be the most awesome guy in the world, but if she doesn't think so, if she's not feeling it, you're out of luck and you have to live with that. You know? Yeah. So then you fast forward, you find someone who does think you're all that and you think they are all that. And so you, you get married and then it still becomes, it, it doesn't like seal it in that moment of I do where you think it gets you know, harder. Joe. It gets harder. Right. For whatever reason that we probably will explore all of that today, but yeah. that becomes uh, a every day and almost an every moment thing. And so right. here's what I'm getting at is if, if I go into a conversation with my wife that may start out benign but in my mind, I'm out of sorts or I think her intentions are bad for whatever reason, right? Because of the, the tone of voice or the way I just happened to hear it, yeah. then I could completely misinterpret what she says and start an argument, you know, and right. she'll like, where where'd that come from? Why why are you right. fighting me back? I, I was trying to compliment you or support you or whatever. I'm like, that's not what I heard, right? right. If I don't consciously come from the from the belief that her intentions are good, that she has my best interest in mind, that she's not trying to control me or critique me, then I can easily misinterpret whatever she's saying in her best intentions. Yeah, and absolutely. And all of that stuff can compound over years even, you know, years. Like it is absolutely true that it gets harder and harder actually as you get to know someone. Um, it can, I should say. and. You know, frequently it can and it's hit and miss and there's peaks and valleys and ebbs and flows and all that. But um, but yeah, as you grow in intimacy with someone, all of these things become more and more complicated. And there's so much verbal and nonverbal communication and um, just simply, you know, like what direction you're laying in bed and facing this way. Or do you, um, you know, let your leg wander over or whatever, that kind of thing can have a big impact on, on months and days or weeks or whatever, but of a, more than just that moment, you know? Yeah. There've been, there've been mornings throughout my marriage when my wife awoke really upset with me. And when we went to bed the night before there, everything was good. And I'm like, what, what's wrong? What happened? And she said, well, in my dream, you did oh this or you didn't do that. And I'm just so mad at you. And I'm like, you're mad at me. I, yeah. I was asleep the whole time. Yeah. Maybe I was snoring. You can be upset with my snoring, but whatever that guy in your dream did, please don't be upset with me for that. She's like, oh, it's yeah. going to take me a while to shake this. And I'm like, wow, if I, I can't even defend myself there, right? <laughs> it is, Yeah, I've, I've heard that one. And then you're helpless. You're just helpless. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the practical then, Mike, um, I really did enjoy this curriculum, and I think it is useful. And one of the things that I loved about it was, it was both lofty and grounded at the exact same time. Um, we would introduce these ideas of how communication theory and uh, maybe even the art of rhetoric. And this was on sort of a community college level. Again, this is not ivory tower elite anything. This was pretty basic. But they would say, well, a lot of this stuff, though, a lot of these things were first talked about or thought about. A lot of ancient cultures, you know, the, the Mesopotamia and ancient Egyptians, but it is true that some of the first that we can kind of see and credit as far as writing this down are people like Socrates. Well, not so Socrates is referenced by Plato, who wrote it down. 
and then Plato's famous student Aristotle, and they would philosophize about all of this stuff and use these rhetorical dialogues to try to advance human civilization and thinking, and it was very lofty, but at the same time, super grounded. The first assignment was to challenge students to ask themselves, what kind of communicator are you? Are you more of a forceful communicator who's got a tougher, more assertive approach, or are you more kind of tactful and laid back and want to keep the peace and you're willing to go along to get along? And that's a good enough question to ask. But then the key is, do you ever need then to be more of the other? And one of the easy ways then, and I'll ask you for your thoughts on this, Joe, but um, one of the easy ways to get the conversation going without using foul language, Joe, but do we have strong opinions on foul language? Is foul language ever useful or effective or needed? (laughs) And boy, my students generally had strong opinions on this topic. And it would go both ways, actually. And like, frequently they would say, oh, yeah, totally need it. It was easy to get them to recognize, oh, yeah, but it is true. Some people like it's a little overboard. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I've had this conversation with many people, including my wife. And yeah. one of the uh, things that her dad used to tell her when foul language thing would arise, he'd say, you're smarter than that. You're more articulate that than that. That's 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 too easy to revert to profanity or a swear word he said that might feel good and and we all admit that there are times when just saying whatever that feeling is by articulating it there is a a catharsis that happens right there's a release that makes you feel better about it but in the big picture like of relationship and reconciliation that may actually cause more damage and take us the opposite direction than we really want to go and so i like what my my wife's dad was telling her he's saying yeah you can use that word but that's that's too easy. Yeah. Can, can you give words to it that are actually useful, that are helpful, that are more articulate, that show how how uh, invested and how intelligent you are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's good then to dig in on it a little bit, and uh, you know, just to echo kind of what you're saying. It is noticeable, you know, especially if it's used sparingly, you know, like that. It can indeed get somebody's attention. Um, and context matters and things like that. Um, it can convey a strong feeling, obviously, but maybe, yeah, it is a something that has to be very sparing. And uh, where we would take it then too, is that we were helping students try to, you know, map out how, to, how can you take ownership and map out um, starting a career? And is it professional language? And there's a lot of environments in professional worlds that do use more foul language than others. Uh, so it's not that it's completely foreign, but I think most of us would acknowledge, yeah, no, it's not exactly professional language. Then the question would be, though, is that fake or not? And it maybe isn't exactly fake. It's easy to think, oh, yeah, that's fake and artificial and just you know, say what you really think. And it's like, I don't know if it necessarily is, though. It could be that you're just getting better at articulating specifically what you mean, and it's not necessarily worse. It may actually be better, you know? And so a lot of our students um, would would recognize this then, that, yeah, if they 
if they do start to behave differently, if they do start to talk differently and whatnot, they recognize that that may cost them with some of their peer group, maybe, because they're quote unquote changing and they have to fend off, you know, have they, you know, sell, sold out or something like that. But they also recognize, no, I haven't sold out. I'm aspiring to something. And that doesn't mean that it's not always artificial either. It just points to the richness of all these conversations. You know, you are pursuing authenticity, but you're also trying to pursue peace, I think, ultimately, you know. And if you're constantly flying off the handle and uh, blowing up at people, that's not very peaceful. You know, another layer to this exact conversation is kind of a generational norms, right? And you, you hinted at that saying you might lose street cred with your peers if you dial it back. You know, I work on a Christian college campus and there's been plenty of times when I walk through the parking lot and there's a, a group of athletes or students at the top of the stairs who in their conversations with each other use language that to me seems inappropriate and offensive because when I was their age, that was nothing but trouble. If, if, you know, the adults or the people in authority heard you using that language, you're going to be called on the carpet immediately. For them, it's like using the word the or uh or what, you know, <laughs> they, they don't even, I don't think they were even consciously aware that of how offensive that might be outside of their circle. So there's a whole other layer of, am I willing to be, to do the work, to be aware of how this may be perceived based on the context, right? right? Oh, absolutely. And it is true, you know, some of that goes with maturity, and then we could also bemoan the youth today. It's always good, if you ever bemoan the youth today, though, it's always good to remind yourself that uh, bemoaning the youth goes all the way back to at least Elisha, who sicked those bears on the teens who were making fun of his bald head or whatever. So it's nothing new. Yeah, it is striking too, especially as you kind of get used to doing this and growing in your ability of how, oh my goodness, just how different your communication style will change if, you know, grandma walks in the room or whatever, you know, yeah. and it's, I mean, it can be night and day, you know, and so what you're, those youth are doing, you know, maybe they're, they need to be a little bit more sensitive too, but I bet you that, yeah, if grandma walked in the room, everything changes to put a little bow on this particular part of the conversation. So I'm walking across the campus just last week with the president, the president of the university and a vice president and me, and we walked past a group of students who I'm not sure if they were aware that we were there or exactly who we were, where we were, but it, in an audible voice, you could hear the F bomb being used in the conversation. So we walked a couple of steps past and then the president stops and you can see his wheels are turning. How, how do I, address this in a way that's going to be helpful. So he said, excuse me, just a moment. You might consider other ways to communicate, especially in the presence, you know, of your elders and the president of the college or some words yeah. to that effect. And you could just see the wide eyed, you know, stupid <laughs> like, oh, what? You mean he heard that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and just that, but that awareness. And mm -hmm. again, that, that goes back to what we talked about earlier. Am I willing to put the needs uh, the perceptions, the uh, sensitivities of others ahead of my right to say whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I might be forceful enough to say that you have to learn how to do that. Otherwise, it's just, otherwise it's just very self-defeating. That's sort of the definition of self-defeating, you know, that you you're going to stop yourself.
when I've been in those situations too, uh, it is kind of funny. You know, it's just you don't want to be overly harsh. It's, it sounds like the president handled it well too, but it's like you can just say, "It's what the heck," you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know, and and they'll go, "Oh, okay, okay, okay." They've checked themselves then, and so that's good. Yeah, sometimes I'll I'll hear overhear something and I'll just say something like language or earmuffs or something, just enough to to raise right. the awareness, you know. And then most of the time, people will respond well to that because it's not a judgment; it's just right. raising awareness. Well, and that was always a, a good way to um, get people to think about it too. Is is that we don't want to hear our children talking this way, or we don't want to hear our children or have our know that our children are even hearing this language, you know, like. Um, I remember, I think my, yeah, my daughter was probably like, I don't know, two years old. She was verbal, so she was talking and whatnot, but she she said, oh my gosh, daddy, uh, my brother said the F word. And I was like, really? <laughs> and she said, yes, F-A-R-T. And I was like, I will talk to him about that. Yeah, so. there, was, uh, there was a time at a restaurant uh, when my good friends, their daughter was my goddaughter, is my goddaughter. And when she was just getting verbal as well, they would say, okay, Sierra, what's what's the F word we told you never to use? And she's like, no, I can't say it. I, no, I can't. No, just right here among us friends, just so we know that you know. And she goes, fat. Never say the word fat. That's good. That's good. You teach them how to yeah. teach them when they're young. Raise them up in the way that you While should. they're young. Yeah. Get them while they're young. There's dialectical communication where you are engaged fully and giving deference to the other uh, person's point of view. And maybe they didn't explicitly say this, but the easiest kind of business context would just be like customer service, you know, that a customer service, any kind of customer service, whether it's just frontline retail or literally customer service, you've really got to be deferential to the customer. <laughs> But anybody in customer service will tell you that it is not actually true that the customer is always right. It's like, good heavens, no, that is not true. <laughs> How do you deal with that? And sometimes it was ridiculous, the links that they had to go to. Um, I remember one student, I think she had worked at The Gap, and The Gap had a policy of take anything back. And she was like, but it's from Nordstrom's. <laughs> They're like, just take it back. <laughs> and she's like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Or it's ripped in half and has spaghetti all over. <laughs> right. Take it back. Twelve but, years old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or the worst is these are true stories. Actually, I think Costco changed their policy on Christmas trees because somebody tried to return their Christmas tree in January. <laughs> right. And I, yeah. think they, I think Costco for the one time had to take it back, and I, reportedly people were booing the person, like "boo, you're a terrible person," but. They got away with it for at least once. <laughs> That's the dialectical, but the opposite is dichotomous. And they said, don't try to be too dichotomous, which is too rigid. Like there, there's a black and a white and a yes and a no and a right and a wrong. And the thing then that I would emphasize with students that I, mean, I would say always just got a good response was, is that I do think you lean towards the dialectical, but that doesn't mean you abandon the dichotomous, obviously. You still have to manage it, but then in a way... <laughs> That makes it even more obvious that it's even more complicated. It's like, oh my gosh, it's not even that there's two sides to every story. It's that there's four sides to every story, you know, that you got to try to balance what could be right or wrong about this or right or wrong about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 
oh, it's exhausting. So at the and it, it kind of clarifies then like Jesus would want us to. It's just just love people. Oh, this really hints at uh, something we talked about before, and that's the the infinite facets of of a conversation, the infinite facets of a of a conflict is like a diamond, right? And, and yeah. you, you explain this way better than I can, but I love that picture of, you know, it's not just two sides, but there can be an infinite number of variations and shades that eventually come to a point and create something beautiful. But if we don't go into the conversation, even allowing for there to be more than just I'm right and you're wrong, well, then it's going to be very difficult to find, right, the the magic, the the beauty in that conflict. Yeah, no, yeah, I think that that is um, a good summation there. Yeah, that uh, I had likened it even to that it's so multifaceted that it becomes a ball, you know, and it's a globe, you know, it's the kingdom of God is this world even that we live in, you know, and there's importance then in these pushes to try to learn how to appreciate all of that diversity and whatnot. And it doesn't mean you abandon your sense of right and wrong, but it also means that you learn to enter into relationship across these boundaries that, you know, might be challenging sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think uh, this, this, to me, this lends to the tendency of, of each of us thinking that my perspective, my point of view, my feeling or belief is the right way and everybody else is wrong or they just need to line up with what I believe. Um, and one of the things I've heard that helps get people out of that perception that, you know, I'm the center of the universe type of thing, which we all yeah. tend to get, we all tend to get there is allowing yourself and even saying to yourself, either internally or externally, Oh, there I go again. So another person, mm -hmm. another perspective, another, you know, the people dropping the F bomb and rather than making a judgment about, Oh, they're so whatever, or labeling them or judging them, start with, oh, there I go again. I could easily be that person in that situation, or I've been there, or I will get there, and just make that uh, identity connection that we're yeah. all we're all part of this continuum. We're all in this yeah. flux. We're all growing, hopefully, you know. And and so, if I can get out of myself and and see myself in these others, then I have a lot more compassion and empathy and enter into the conflict of the conversation with a totally different perspective. Yeah, there's so much there and everything you just said, you know, uh, and just to touch on them, you know, not even, again, we're not going to dig in, but, you know, there's this whole rich field of, um, so it's very much an education, but even broader than just education of just recognizing the importance of um, being informed about trauma that people have had to endure. And, you know, a lot of lofty language or, you know, psychological uh, academic language could be thrown at that. But it's as simple as knowing that, yeah, if if a kid is lashing out at school, it could be that he's upset about something. You know, it's like, what's wrong is the first question to ask, not how dare you or whatever. Um, and it's it is in that vein of empathy and, oh, man, I could get going on how wrong some thinkers misinterpret, I think, intentionally, even the word empathy and that, no, empathy is what we need to aspire to. It does not mean abandoning notions of right and wrong. You are trying to help people, but you have to help them in the context 
of knowing where they're coming from and what are they dealing with. And, and you do need to empathize with people and aspire to that and want to do that. And that goes to this other thing you can just touch on, but it's just that, you know, the do you see people as potential threats or potential friends? You know, like some people, I think Albert Einstein said that that's what the world boils down to. Do you see enemies everywhere potentially, or do you see friends everywhere potentially? Yeah, yeah. and as we touched on before, what you look for is what yeah. you will see. You Perception is reality. Perception <laughs> is reality, right. Yeah. And uh, the mantra of our um, Pepperdine program in uh, organizational development was, you create the world you pay attention to. Same idea, right? If I'm yeah. paying attention to what is different about people, what I don't like about them, that you know, what would make them my enemy, then that's what I will get. That's the world I'll create. Well, why not look for the commonalities, look for what we have in common, look for the reconciliation or or at least go into the conversation believing that what I believe and what you believe may not line up, but maybe there's a third or fourth or fifth yeah. or infinite other variation that's a much better perception than either one of us even have going into it. And then because I'm seeking for that, I will find it. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good way to wrap up. But the last thing, too, just on that practical level that I thought it's just how pervasive all of this is, is that it's um, it's in that very fabric. But then you could say you see it, too, it manifested in the we're using it right now as we speak. But the communication is so pervasive. All of the devices that we use in the social media and the World Wide Web, you know, that we all exist within it requires so much management and it creates what a lot of people are, you know, there's that documentary, the social dilemma. But what I think is key is recognizing it, yeah, it's a dilemma. You know, most, we, we generally will see that idea and say, oh yeah, bad news. But it's like, no, it's a dilemma because there's so much empowerment that's going on too. Creation and creators and changing paradigms and, in Hollywood and in business and in global communications and all this. And, you know, you're, you're in touch with people all over the globe at the same time. And it's amazing in many ways. It's how then do you navigate it and manage it? Yeah. I think one of the keys in what you just said is goes right back to the beginning of our conversation. We talked about our deep desire to know and to be known by our creator, by each other. And, yeah. and I think, uh, this goes to the difference between knowing about someone, mm -hmm. having knowledge, and the knowing of the experience where you know it from the inside out, right? Where it's more of a spiritual, psychological, emotional connection. Because I think one of the dilemmas, right, of our social media is that I can say a lot of things from my head. I can make a lot of judgments from my head. I can know about people or about uh, perceptions or about perspectives or about politics, but I don't have that connection, right? I'm, right. Nobody knows me. I'm not being known. I'm still isolated. I just yeah. using, you know, electronics to spout my side of the story, my opinion, yeah. and, and to disparage other people oftentimes, right? Uh, making judgments yeah. about them. With foul uh, so, language. Yeah. So that, right. So that dilemma isn't going to be solved in monologue. It's got to be solved in dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, John, it's it's a pleasure as always to have these conversations with you. My my mind and my heart expands in these conversations, uh, as we've talked about before. Oftentimes, even in our conversation, uh, an idea will germinate and will come up that neither one of us had oh, yeah. planned. 
product in advance. And uh, I think that's something that I not only enjoy, but aspire to in my other relationships, including my marriage and with my kids, right? right? And so for those that have tuned in, thanks for spending time with us. We realize that time is a precious and non-renewable resource. And so if you've spent time here, then you've chosen to not do something else. And so our hearts really are that this would be helpful to your life, to your spirit, uh, to your relationships, which really are key and fundamental to to happiness, to, to fulfillment, to purpose in life. So on behalf of John Comfort, uh, I'm Mojo, and we look forward to talking to you again. Bless you, John. Thanks, Joe. You too. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you.